Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of, the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean amongst the ears of grain, after him whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went gleaning in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who comes back with Naomi from the country of Moab. He said, Please let me glean, she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given, given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. 
and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest any other field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks so much, Bert. Let me to pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, as we uh, continue to open up your word here uh, in the book of Ruth, we want to just thank you again for the precious gifts of your word and the, the words of life uh, that we can encounter you and your amazing grace. Father, as we have been exploring and as we've just read, uh, as we consider these, this family, Lord, of Naomi and Ruth and very much the ups and downs that they experience, big, big downs and um, also coming to fullness, Lord. Father, it tells our story, how we in our own lives have ups and downs as, as we can relate to this. We, can, we know that we, uh, yeah, the walk of faith can be very difficult sometimes as we experience the highs and lows and, and have walked the mountains and the troughs of life. But Father, as we've uh, explored a little bit, and we will soon, Lord, we, we know that you are providentially over working in our lives and over all things. Father, I pray that as we head into your word now, that you would help us come to a place of trust uh, and a place of assurance and that uh, we would see your goodness and experience it uh, through your son, Jesus. Praise in your name. Amen. Well, being stuck stationary can sometimes be a real pickle. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of experiences where we've hit peak hour traffic or maybe there's been a breakdown in the train and you're stuck. Or maybe you're inching forward very, very slowly. Uh, even this morning coming to church, I hit the 70 long carriage train uh, that we get on the north side of Geelong. Uh, apparently, uh, just FYI, in the world, if uh, one of the most congested places that you can live apparently is London, uh, and I, I don't know that personally, I haven't been there, maybe some of you can tell me. Uh, but they, there they apparently spend on average over 320 hours uh, a year simply driving in kind of congested traffic. Uh, that's nearly two weeks of your life every year sitting in a car. I don't know about you, but that does not appeal to me at all. 
Uh, and I've experienced it li- living here in Geelong that our own Geelong CBD is uh, sometimes quite slow moving. I find these times very trying on my own uh, patience. It's unbearable just sitting there waiting, inching your way forward at snail's pace, hoping for that congestion to clear up sooner rather than later. Well, as we come to our passage in Ruth chapter 2 this morning, uh, for us in our walk with the Lord, it's possible to also find ourselves going at snail pace or even becoming stationary, not really moving forward in our relationship with the Lord, nor really helping others do the same. Last week in Ruth chapter 1, we we saw there how we're called to to show chesed, God's steadfast love, his loving kindness, having first received that same loving kindness ourselves. We are then to embody it, these same traits towards as we love God back and love others, both in our words and how we speak the gospel to each other uh, and show the love of Christ in that way, but also through very practical deeds, as we've encountered throughout the book of Ruth, practically showing God's love to others, being others-focused. Well, this week, as we head into Ruth chapter 2, there is certainly a continuation of this theme of God's steadfast love and, and his hesed. But here we see this emphasis of seeing it in action and, and keeping moving on with that task before us. And so we want to consider what does it mean for us to keep moving, to work hard at it, to be able to do that, to not become snail-paced, stationary or stagnant. So I guess the question then for us is how does our text spur us on to keep up this task? How do we address roadblocks that we might face along the way? And how do we address times where we find ourselves not moving forward in this way, the, hope, the way we might hope to or we ought to be doing? And so this morning there are three key things I want to teach uh, come from, from our passage about keeping on the move or keeping moving that comes straight out of our passage. The first is this. Our, uh, there's an encouragement in our passage to step out in faith. To step out in faith into the unknown, even into danger, knowing the truth of God's providence. Uh, in our passage, we once again meet characters who perhaps, if you've been traveling along in this series so far, you're becoming a little bit acquainted with now. We have an, an Naomi, the downtrodden, bitter widow, who's doing it tough. Now we have Ruth, uh, the younger widow as well, who amazingly has a spring in her step uh, and who is going out of her way to show God's steadfast love to Naomi. But now a new character in, introduced on the scene, Boaz, a man who is somehow related to Naomi through Elimelech, her, uh, her husband who passed away in the land of Moab, a man who our text says is respected in the community, who holds significant standing and influence, a man of character, of real substance. Why is he introduced here in chapter 2, verse 1? Clearly he's going to play an important part in the narrative. But what is it? We have to read on to find out. Soon we're going to find how he also displays God's steadfast love. And he goes out of his way to help 
Ruth and indirectly Naomi. But before we get to that, our text next focuses more on Ruth and how she takes this bold step in order to secure food and provision for both her and Naomi. Naomi, having returned to Bethlehem empty and widowed, and with this foreigner and outsider, Ruth, is not left with much. She feels empty in her life. And so there's actually only one way for them to really make a living now, and that is to glean ears of grain from the fields. Now, if you're here today and wondering what this is all about, this gleaning from the fields and this, all this farm work, uh, it's actually important uh, that you understand two things to get a grapple on this. Uh, firstly, it just requires a, a bit of an understanding about ancient farming processes of collecting grain for bread making. Uh, we don't have our modern day tractors uh, back then. Um, that, so it's a bit hard for us actually to imagine what's going on here because we're 21st century city dwelling people. But yeah, in ancient times, they, uh, and actually in many places still in the world today, uh, they don't have tractors and machinery to help them uh, collect grain from the fields. And so instead it has to be done manually, by hand, which would have been really hard back-breaking work. Uh, it involved various steps, beginning with someone cutting it uh, or reaping the grain with a hand sickle, like this one. Uh, others would then bundle all the cut stalks uh, into bundles uh, before it was carried off to have the actual grain removed from the head uh, through what is known as threshing and winnowing. And so there's a bit of understanding that you need to understand what's going on here in the text uh, to understand just some farming practices, uh, both of back of those days and in many places in the world today. But secondly, we also need to understand a little bit about ancient Israelite laws in the Torah. Uh, because God had a heart for lo the lowly, the poor, the needy, and wanting uh, provisions to be made for the less well-off, uh, he made provision of this in the Israelite law. Uh, this included a command for farmers to not cut or reap every last piece in the fields of wheat uh, or barley, but rather leave some left over so the poor could collect it and have some food still to eat. Uh, Leviticus 23 verse 22 says this, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them uh, for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. And so for Naomi and Ruth, the only way for them to really get a living then was to go on and do this, to go and glean from the fields and try and make a bit of living for themselves. So Ruth asked Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Go, my daughter, comes her reply. Now, it's a little bit hard to see why Naomi didn't also go and reap. The text doesn't say. Was she still downtrodden and depressed, bitter? Maybe she was scared to head out. Well, maybe it's simply from older age and her inability to work like this. The text doesn't say. But what we do have is Ruth's uh, actions that I think are very instructive for us. Painting a picture of faith and steadfast love in action, even in the face 
of danger. We need to remember how vulnerable these women would have been and in the spiritually depraved times in which they lived in the days of the judges. It wasn't safe for them to be alone, really, going out like this. And yet the narrative teaches us that God was looking out for Naomi and Ruth. Part of verse 3 and 4 says, She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Uh, You could say it in another way, verse 4, And what do you know? Boaz rocked up from Bethlehem. This is the author's way of saying God's providence was at work. God was working in this situation, looking out for Ruth and Naomi. I think for us today, the Christian is also called to exercise our faith and step out in faith in a fallen world that we live in. To step out for the sake of the gospel, of showing God's love to others. Sometimes this means taking a risk. One reason that we can find ourselves becoming stagnant is is fear. Don't get me wrong, there are certainly reasons that we can be fearful today. Uh, Why there are many reasons to be fearful. Uh, We think of some of the things we mentioned already and some of the offerings that we've given towards. Uh, If we think of the recent past, COVID itself brought a whole range of fears. Lockdowns, mandates, fear of death and illness, fear of people, socialising, fear of the government, fear of uh, having lack in the supermarket, of people panic buying. Uh, On the global scale, there's uh, sort of issues of war and fear of what's happening in Ukraine and Russia and the terrible situation that's happening there. Uh, For us as Christians, there. In our culture, there can be some specific fears, especially around expressing our faith in a, in a culture that sometimes can be hostile to our faith, particularly when it comes to issues of identity and sexuality. Fear of perhaps backlash if we uh, verbalize and, and show that we hold to standard beliefs about sexuality and marriage that have been held for literally thousands of years. Uh, what if I'm ridiculed for my beliefs? What if I lose my job? Uh, What if I lose my friends? Whatever it is for you, I'm sure that we all have fears that we contend with in our Christian walk. Fears that can cause us to freeze and stop moving. What exactly exercising faith means in any given circumstances does require wisdom. Uh, On the one hand, it doesn't mean necessarily taking uh, foolish or blind risk and every possible risk that you can. But nor does it mean taking no risk. I think Jesus sums it up so well in Matthew 10, verse 16, where he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Undergirding this uh, is placing our fear of an allegiance to God ahead of our fear of man. For later on in that same chapter, in verse 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, by which he means God. And so I ask you this morning, are you willing to take a risk for God, knowing that there is a sovereign God in heaven, 
as you live out your faith and seek to show uh, God's steadfast love to others. The second message, uh, second lesson that we learn from our passage about keeping on the move is stopping and resting in God's grace. Whereby being empowered and filled up by God, spurred on with the knowledge that he is our refuge. Boaz says to his younger supervisor on the job site, whose young woman is this? He asks whose, because again, in the cultural setting there, a woman's identity was strongly connected with that of her family. She's a young Moabite woman who came back with Nomi from the country of Moab, comes the reply. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Ruth is flabbergasted. Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You read on, they next sit down for a, a lunchtime meal where they're physically rejuvenated before the work again begins. Which doesn't occur until after Boaz offers even more to Ruth, commanding his workers to give her a bit extra from what they are harvesting. Up until this point, Ruth must have been pretty exhausted. She'd been working all morning, having worked all morning as hard as she could for Nomi and herself. But what an encouragement Boaz's actions and provision would have been for Ruth. How could she not keep working hard for the rest of the day, having been so well fed and catered for by Boaz and his workers? She would have been so motivated for her task having received herself a sign of God's steadfast love. For us today, here is a clear picture again of the bigger picture of the story of Scripture, where just like Ruth experienced chesed at the hand of Boaz and his workers, we too are to come under God's wings, having him as our shelter and refuge, being reminded of and resting in his grace. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 17, he said, And behold, a voice, it said there, behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In the eyes of God the Father, Jesus was favored. As God's Son, the Father and the Son had a love for each other, a perfect love from all eternity. And as a human, Jesus was the perfect man, flawless, sinless, without spot or blemish, fully pleasing to God in every way, following him even to death on a cross. 
where he paid that price for our sin, atoning for sin on our behalf and securing God's love and the forgiveness of sins to all who believe in him. For that was God's purpose all along, his plan. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now all who are united to Christ in faith are clothed with his righteousness. And in Christ, the Christian is favored in God's eyes. When God looks at us, he sees his perfect son. And now in him, we belong to him and have a new identity adopted as a child of God. No longer are we considered a foreigner, an outsider, but a part of God's family. And so we are not our own. 1 Corinthians 6, in there Paul says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. In times of feeling stationary and quite frankly exhausted in the Christian walk, this is a timely reminder of God's love and grace. To be spurred on, being fully motivated, knowing whose you are, who you belong to. Namely, God who purchased you through the shedding of his blood. I think as we walk the Christian walk and seek to live out our faith, we can in our hearts forget, forget the core truths of the gospel and not experience afresh God's love and grace. And so God is saying, come and rest in me. Then you'll be motivated to press on. And so I ask you, Christian, do you regularly rest in God's grace? This is certainly a time for Sundays to do that. But what about throughout the week as well, in, in word and in prayer and in, in covenant community? The Christian can't give on an empty tank. Uh, like Ruth, who went home and gave to Naomi out of her abundance, we too can only give once we first receive. The third thing that our passage teaches us about keeping on the move is this. That we are to keep on the move knowing that the work for the Lord is satisfying and has eternal value. At this point in the narrative, Ruth has uh, basically given everything. She's fast losing her identity and her ties to Moab, her country of origin. She's totally pledged herself to Naomi and the well-being of her mother-in-law. And now she's here on some random field, not so random, uh, working her backside off so she doesn't starve to death. And yet, by the end of the day, she's full. She's happy. She's content. And with enough food left over for Naomi... Uh, which we say, the text says about an ephah of barley. It's hard to know how much exactly that would have been, but uh, I think it's something like half a month's worth of wage. It's quite a lot to reap in one day. In this way, Ruth was experiencing in a very tangible way the blessing of serving God and others brings to one's life. Something that we, she will continue to reap the benefits of, excuse the pun, for the rest of the barley and wheat harvest, as she heeds both Boaz's and Naomi's advice to not glean in another field or leave this one. 
In a similar way, we too are to keep on working in God's field, in the right field, not depart from it, whereby not being distracted by other fields that we could be going out and working on. I think there's a bit of a subtle irony here in the text, where, in, particularly in Naomi's response to Ruth. In a roundabout way, whether she's aware of it or not, she's kind of saying, Ruth, don't go and do what I did and abandon ship. Heading it over to other fields, like the fields of Moab, stick with the one that the Lord has, has before you. How are we to appropriately relate this to the Christian today? Well, if the whole chapter is really a continuation of experiencing God's chesed, his loving kindness, and dedicating that ourselves to showing that to others, then to head to another field is to not do that, to be heading in another direction. I don't know about you, but I actually find this incredibly relevant to our world today. Our 21st century Western world says it's kind of all about you. Dedicate yourself to a life of individualism, and that's what will make you happy. In such a context, the Christian life can kind of seem boring or mundane. Uh, why dedicate your life to the work of the Lord under both his wings and kingship? Dedicating your life to others rather than yourself. I mean, isn't there so many other fun fields out there that we could be harvesting and enjoying the benefit of? But our passage says, no. To dedicate oneself to the cause of the, the gospel, to, to loving God, to loving others, is actually what's more fulfilling. And boy, is there a crop to be harvested. With so many neighbors around us, even in at Geelong, who are lost without Christ. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37 to 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Laborers few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest, into his harvest. And so I ask you this morning, are you willing to uh, labor in God's field for the rest of the harvest, the rest of your life, showing and speaking Jesus to others? knowing that you are doing eternal work, work that is of value, work that's going to count in the end, and that you are serving your heavenly king as you do that. And so, fellow Christian, will you keep moving then for the Lord, stepping out in faith, knowing that there is a sovereign God in heaven, spurred on having first rested in his grace, knowing that you are a forgiven child of God, Loved eternally by him, will you dedicate yourself to his heavenly work as his laborer? Maybe you're here and recognize yourself for yourself that you have actually lived a whole life dedicated to yourself. Maybe you're here and not believing the gospel yet for yourself and are wondering what does it mean to actually uh, dedicate yourself to the Lord and, and commit yourself to him and come under his headship. Maybe it's dawned on you for the first time the emptiness of, of, a, of a life lived for self. You've been moving, but actually moving in the wrong direction. If that's you this morning and you're wanting something that is truly fulfilling, if that's you today, Jesus says, forsake your life and follow me. 
Come and commit your life to me through repentance and faith, and I will give you treasure that the world cannot give. Eternal life. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, as we have considered Ruth too and this uh, hard worker Ruth who is working hard uh, for Naomi and, uh, and is reaping benefit from that, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that the lessons that we've learned today, that uh, we would take that away and, and take them seriously, Lord, into our week. Father, I confess that there are times in my own life and, in, and in, in our lives where we find other fields more appealing. That the way of the world and dedicating our life to self or sinful passions or just a way that is not focused on you, uh, Lord, we are tempted by that. We are sucked in by that. And we think that that's going to give us fulfillment and happiness that will last the distance. Father, we are foolish in that way. And I pray, Lord, that you would convict us of our foolishness in times that we do give in to that lie. Father, will you help us to see that working for you does, uh, does pay off, even if it is incredibly hard sometimes. Father, will you sustain us in that work? Help us not be stagnant. And that you'll do that by empowering us mightily by your grace, spurring us off on with the love that you lavishly pour out on your people through the Holy Spirit. Father, as we head out this week, Lord, that as we encounter those around us, may they see this love of Christ abundantly come out of us. Father, there are fears that we face as well in the world today. We live in a fallen world. And Father, we are fearful at times to speak for you, to step out in faith, and we become stagnant. Father, help us to step out in faith. Not because our own faith needs to be good enough, but because, Jesus, you are good enough, the object of our faith. And as we look to you, Lord, I pray that you would gift us with strength, strength from above, strength that comes only from you, to walk as your servants. And Father, I want to just thank you again that you have saved us, that you have redeemed us, and that you took us out of the depths of our sin, from the, from the mud and the filth, completely lost and cut off from you, Lord. But you saved us. You set us apart. You clothed us with the righteousness of Jesus. And Father, we want to praise and thank you for that, that we are now favoured in your sight because of him. Amen.